Last week, for those uh, that were not here, I, I did a, a message on being thankful, the blessing of a thankful heart in connection with Thanksgiving. Um, but the week before that, uh, I talked about prayer, and my title was The Power of Prayer. And, uh, you know, the message really was on how important it is for us to, to be a people of prayer. Uh, in, his, in the word Wally gave tonight, he said, it's just talking to God. It's that simple. And it really, it really, really is that simple. H- how important is it for us to be a people who just talk to God? And, and I would say this, that prayer is the central kingdom activity. When we think of the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God and how that works and what that looks like, prayer would have to be the focal point, the central activity um, necessary to further God's kingdom in the world today. God is, I think we, we all understand God's all-powerful, God's in control. God, God is fully capable of running the universe on his own. No, no limit in his ability to do that. And yet, he has designed the world and created the world in such a way that, that it, it really is dependent upon, and he has created the world in such a way that he is dependent upon his people talking to him. We, we need to know, we need to, I want you to just think about for a moment the reality that the outcome of life, the outcome of circumstances and situations and events, both personally and then on a, on a bigger scale than that, really, really are contingent upon prayer, upon God's people simply talking to Him. And so uh, I'm going to continue. I told you I would continue that, and we'll continue tonight. And, and uh, for a while, we'll probably take a, a break to deal with some Christmas-related issues, but over the next several weeks, I want to continue to look at that and talk about prayer a little bit. I'm going to go back to the text that we started with in Luke uh, two weeks ago tonight. I want to take five minutes and review some of the the key points we went over and then kind of move forward from there. So uh, I'm going to read again the text from Luke 11, beginning in uh, verse 5 on prayer. Jesus said to them, and this Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and again, the context is that the disciples have come to Jesus and asked him to teach them to pray. And you remember, Jesus was off praying, and he would do that sometimes. You can imagine these group of guys, and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus is missing. Where is Jesus? And, and they would look for him, and he would be off praying somewhere. And <clears throat> so on one occasion, this, this occasion in particular, they see Jesus praying, and they come to him and say, teach us to pray. We, we, I think they, they, they began to connect some things, and they saw, hey, stuff happens when he prays, and, and, and we, don't, we don't get it. We don't have that same power, that same essence in our prayer. So teach us to pray. And in response, Jesus first presented them the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, really, uh, is content, what to pray. Uh, and then this passage immediately follows that, and in this passage, he kind of talks to them a little bit about how to pray and about some attitudes in prayer. And so this is what he says in response. Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, (laughs) thank you, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the response that Jesus gave uh, to their question of teach us to pray. Here's the things we talked about in our first message as far as what did we learn from that text. First, that we're to pray, pray with shameless audacity. I love the TNIV there, that, that translation for the words uh, which in the NIV are just bold, just as bold. Uh, we're, we're to pray... Uh, shameless audacity, great, great way to put that boldly, brashly, knock on the door, pound on the door at midnight, go step over the line, just ask and ask, don't give up, just go right, get in his face and ask. That's the way we're supposed to be in prayer. Uh, we are supposed to pray with the knowledge that God wants us to answer. I think that's key in this text and in other places, that God really wants to bring an answer. He wants us to talk to him. He wants communication between us, and he will respond if we answer. We also are to pray expecting to be answered. There needs to be a place of kind of a feeling, a sense of expectation in our hearts as we go before God. We learned in other passages in that same message a couple weeks ago to pray continually from Thessalonians, that our prayers are powerful and effective from James and from Second Chronicles, that prayer is an if-then proposition. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then from heaven will I hear, uh, will I forgive their sins and heal their land. If we do this, then I'll do this. There, there really is a connection between our prayers and what God does. Our prayers really do have an impact on outcome. They really can change the course of events. And so... Uh, that's a brief review of what we went over. And if you think about prayer in the context of those things, that's a pretty powerful endorsement. I think that's a strong encouragement. I think most of us would look at those points and say, yes, absolutely. I, 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 prayer is good. Prayer is powerful. I, I probably need to pray more. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a person of prayer, but most of us, most of the time, need to pray more. And we would be hopefully encouraged to pray more. I, I think it's important that we as a people, for, for me it's, it's, it's vitally important uh, as, as a Christian and as a pastor, that, that we are authentic and genuine in our faith and in our expression of faith. That we have as little pretense as possible, that we do not put on airs or... Um, profess things that aren't accurate or real in our lives. And sometimes, to be authentic in our faith, it means that we have to wrestle with hard questions. And uh, I presented some questions that go with prayer 
in our last message, and I, I didn't answer them. I left them hanging, and I left them hanging on purpose because I wanted to establish these things first, how important prayer is and how much it means to God to communicate with his people. But my intent tonight and probably next week and maybe one more week after that is to come back now and, and answer or at least attempt to answer and look at some of those hard questions. And the things I brought up were things like this. If God wants to answer us so badly, why do we need to be persistent? Why do we need to pray with shameless audacity? Why do we need to ask time and time and time again? If, if God really wants to answer, why would we not just ask once he would answer? Most of us, even though we're evil, if our children came to us and said, Dad, Dad, I, I want some scrambled eggs for breakfast, they would probably answer once and you would respond. Maybe he would say in five minutes, let me finish the paper or my coffee or whatever. But the point is we would respond. So if, if God wants to answer so bad, why is it that we need to be persistent in prayer to begin with? Or really, if you carry that thinking out, why, why do we need to ask at all? If, if God knows what we need, which we, we would agree that he does. I think the vast majority of you raised your hand and said God is good all the time. If God is good all the time, if he knows what I need, if he knows that I'm going to ask for good things, why wouldn't he just give them to me? And if I ask for things that aren't good, that would be harmful and bad things, God's not going to give me the bad things anyway, right? So if he already knows all that, why do I have to ask at all? Why doesn't God, if he's in control, if he's all-powerful, just do what needs to be done? take care of business. The, uh, the other question, the last question I asked was probably the most challenging of all the questions that we looked at. Pardon me. Thank you, Mom. Um, why is it, why is it <clears throat> that sometimes when we ask for an egg, it feels like we get a scorpion. I use the illustration of my dad's death and how much we prayed. And those prayers went unanswered. The things that we asked for did not come to pass. Why does that happen? Why, why is it that a family prays for protection and then goes on a trip and is in an automobile accident? Why is it that a man prays and prays and prays for a job because he needs a job and he doesn't get that job? Why is it that a woman prays and prays and prays for the restoration of her marriage and for her husband's heart to be turned around again and it doesn't happen and their marriage falls apart? Why is it that maybe there are two families who are believers and equally faithful and they both have sick children and, and pray for those children and one is miraculously healed and the other dies? Why, why do those things happen And I think it's, it's really important that we address these issues and that we look at these. <coughs> Sorry about that, you guys. Um, there's two reasons I think it's important. One reason is this. I, I think we need to have a good biblical understanding of things. And the reason I say that is this. I mean, there's a couple of reasons, but for me, it's a whole lot harder to get my heart behind something that I can't get my head around. It's hard for me to have vision for and be passionate about something I can't understand. 
I don't know if you're the same way, but I believe that prayer is something worth being passionate about. I believe it's something worth having vision for. But if I can't understand it, and if I have these unanswered questions hanging out there, it's a little more difficult for me to really invest my heart in it. The second reason that I think it's important that we address these hard questions is this, and it's something that we've talked about a lot over the last year or so, and that is that we really are, all of us, each one of us, part of a greater community. And it really isn't just about me and my prayers. It's, it's really about you and your prayers. And as a community, a body of believers, I believe that at different times, different ones of us will go through those situations and others that are challenging, and we're going to ask those questions. And we really do need to learn to help one another process, to help one another walk through those difficult times, to be able to be Jesus and to bring comfort to one another in the midst of those tough questions and those tough times. If somebody comes to me, and maybe I'm in a role where that would happen more often than you, but I'm sure it'll happen in your life as well. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, why did this happen? I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and this thing happened in my life, and I don't get it. And we need to be able to help them through that. So those are the reasons I think it's important for us. Here's what uh, my experience has been. I've told you guys um, <coughs> that uh, I've, been, I've been at this for a long time, um, longer than at least a good number of you have been alive. And uh, my experience is this, that there are some, I'll say often, very often, there are some very sincere well-intentioned, good-hearted, Bible-believing people who say and do some very hurtful things in response to these questions. And they end up either wounding or maybe indicting others by their responses. And I know that's not their intent, but it's what happens. And so I think it's important that we have a biblical response to those questions. So my title tonight, with the next couple weeks, is Scorpion's Eggs and the Hard-Boiled Truth. And uh, that'll probably make some sense to you now. I hope it makes more sense as we go. But let's pray and we'll ask God to uh, bless this, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Lord, uh, help us to be genuine and sincere in our faith. My prayer is that we would grow more passionate, that we would have more vision than ever for prayer that we would be captivated in our hearts, that the things that we talk to you about can change the outcome. So would you do that in our midst? Would you open our minds and our hearts to receive from you? Open your word that it would water the soil of our hearts and it would cause us to grow deeper, deeper, deeper and deeper in you. Amen. I want to, uh, I want to do this. I want, I want to begin by answering what... Uh, by taking a look at uh, what I believe are the two most common responses given to that question of why prayers go unanswered. We'll only get to one tonight. We'll do one next week. And then the third week, we will look at some other variables in prayer. Um, but I want to look at what I, what I believe are the two most common responses 
to why prayers go unanswered first. And the first one, and I don't know if it's the most often used or not, but it's one of the most, is it must be God's will. And very often when uh, you pray for something, and whatever it might be, but it's usually something big, something emotional. It it usually has to do with uh, health, finances, marriage, relationships. It's usually a big thing. You pray for that and it goes unanswered. And you talk to your brother or sister in Christ. And it's quite possible that they'll respond to you, well, it just must be God's will. There are other little sayings that we we might attach to to that answer. One of them is, and I've heard this before, I I, I think I actually heard this in a memorial service for a child that had passed away once. And the pastor said, well... The angels must have needed, you know, little Billy or whatever his name was more than we did. Um, you say things like, you might hear things like, well, God, God is uh, still on the throne. God knows what he's doing. God's timing is always right. God's ways are not our ways. Um, those are all sort of variations of a theme. They, they all really are connected to it must be God's will. And, and again... I, I, I really believe that the people who say those things are very sincere. It's not their motivation or intention to be anything but, and I, I believe they say those things in, the, in an effort to be comf- comforting. With that in mind, I, I, I want to, because I don't know where you guys all are. I don't know if you believe that, if you say that. I don't know. I, I'm hoping that you don't. It's not my intention to be critical of any one person or people uh, at all because I do believe that of all the people I've known who have said those sorts of things, some that ended up being incredibly hurtful, that was not their motivation. Their motivation was to bring comfort and assurance, but it ended up being hurtful. I I, I am going to say this, though. I am critical of the theology behind that. While I'm not critical of the people that espouse it, I am critical of the theology behind it. I think that there are errant theologies that are taught. We learn those things. And they're harmful. They're harmful to the advancement of the kingdom and the purpose of God. And so while I I don't want to be critical of any person, I do want to be critical of of a a belief system possibly as I I share these things. And, And I'm open. You guys can question me on that. You can talk to me about these things later. I haven't said it in a while, but most of you are aware that for the price of a grande Americano, I'll talk about anything. Um, I will will say this. I'll say this. You know, God does have a higher purpose, regardless of what happens. A tragic situation in our lives. God has a higher purpose. God does have a wise plan. God has a plan that was prepared for us before the foundations of the world, to bring about good and not evil. But with that, it does, that does not mean that God wants tragedy to happen. It does not mean that he want, it's his will for a person to be ill. It's not mean, it does not mean it's his will for a person to die. It does not mean it's his will for you to not get that job that you need so badly. 
And the verse that we so often appeal to in this situation is Romans 8. This is a very important verse. It's, a, it's, it's an important and powerful verse to understand. Sometimes in those situations, this verse will be quoted. You may have had this verse quoted to you in response to unanswered prayer or tragedy in your life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen? Can I have an amen? That's good. Uh, what that does not say is that everything that happens is God working for good. Okay? He will bring good out of even the most dire and tragic circumstances, out of death, out of sickness, but that doesn't mean that those things are good things that are in God's will or God's intent to happen from the beginning. God is infinitely wise, infinitely creative, and has the ability to take the absolute most tragic situation and bring about good from it, in it, as the text says. How many times have we heard of the death of a child and the parents of that child will then begin a foundation for the disease that the child died from? And the foundation will raise money and finance research for, you know, a cure for that disease. That's a good thing that's happened out of a bad thing. God is able to make good come from bad. But it doesn't in any way mean that the original plan that God sent in His will in any way was for that bad thing to happen. Does that make sense? That is a, it's a, it's a tweak. It's a small, subtle little difference in how we view the text but I think it's a very, very important one. I I think it's very important that we not ever tell someone that the tragedy in their life was God's will. I, I think it's very important that we as children of God understand that our good and loving Father didn't place that tragedy upon us by His will. I think that's a huge differentiation to make. When we say it must be God's will... We're assuming that the only variable in, in the equation is God's will. If we asked for something and it didn't happen, it must be God's will. We're assuming the only variation in that equation is God's will. Let me ask, do we really believe, do we really believe that every unanswered prayer is God's will? Every sickness, every every person that's not healed when we pray for healing, every death, every tragedy, uh, all those things, do we, do we really, war, murder, uh, all, all of the things that can happen, do we really believe that every time we pray for those things and they don't happen, that that's God's will, that those things were, were to come to pass? For, first of all, look at, what, what about this? Okay, let's, let's just say if, Maybe this would probably never really happen. But let's say that a, a couple has a teenage child, and that teenage child is beginning to wander away from God. Obviously, that wouldn't really happen. And let's say that the parents pray and pray and pray for that child to turn their heart back to God. But he, the child doesn't. Continues to walk path further and further away, and the parents pray and pray, and they call their church and their friends and they pray and pray and that child continues to wander away from God. And that child begins to get involved in life of drugs and let's say the child overdoses on heroin and dies and goes to hell. 
Is that God's will? God's will, first of all, cannot contradict itself. And we know that it's God's will that all people would come to know Him. And so if it's God's will for all people to come to know Him, that couldn't have been God's will for that to happen. Second of all, God's will can't contradict God's nature. God is love. God is good all the time, right? If God is love and God is good, then it can't be God's will for that to happen in any way, shape, or form. God does not give us scorpions when we ask for eggs. Jesus tells us that. God is not going to give you a scorpion. That's not the God that we see in the New Testament revealed in Jesus. Jesus said this, anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. We look at Jesus, we see the Father. What is God like? This is so important. What is God like? God is like Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus. What does God think? He thinks like Jesus. How does God act? What does he say? Everything that Jesus looks like and acts and says and does, that's what God is like. Jesus spent his entire ministry in care of the sick, the needy, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the lost, the lonely, the poor, prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, broken, wounded people. He never, ever said to any of them that they were in that condition, they were in that place because it was God's will. He never turned them away. He never gave a scorpion. That's who God is. That's what God does. Conversely, Jesus believed this, and it benefits us to believe this as well, that we, we live in a demonically oppressed, fallen world. And in that oppressed, fallen world, we reveal the will of God by praying and asking God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We come against those things. We come against sin and sickness and poverty and injustice. We come against those things by praying and and doing the will of God. If we ask for eggs, God is not going to give scorpions. Now, God is all-powerful. God is in control. But God has chosen to create a world where human beings and angelic beings, and we'll talk about that in a minute, have free will. He has given us free will. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this in the past, and I've come to the conclusion that free will causes so much pain, it must be really, really important to God that we have it. But that's the way he set it up. And when we begin... When we begin to grasp that and get a hold of that and understand that it changes everything, the world becomes so much more complex and simple pat answers just don't cut it anymore. And you find that you're not able to say things like, well, that must be God's will. When you really begin to come to an understanding of how complex the thing is, people, people in the world today, you and I and everyone else, we can agree with or disagree with God's will. Did you know that? We can say yes or no to God's will. A couple examples. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purposes for themselves. You know, we don't like the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are bad guys. What if, what if God's plan was Jesus comes into the world and the Pharisees are devout? They're religious in the best sense of the word. 
They're spiritual guys. I could use them. The teachers of the law, these guys really know my word. They, they've memorized it. They've, they've studied up and down. <coughs> I could use these guys. They could help carry out my plan. But they rejected the purpose of God. Old Testament, Isaiah. <laughs> Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. They carry out plans that aren't God's. They have an alliance. They've connected with someone, but not his spirit. We have the ability to say yes or no to the will of God, to the purpose of God in our lives. We can pray for protection before we go on a trip. And someone can choose to get in a car and drive drunk and hit us and cause an accident. And that accident was that person's will, that person's plan. It was not God's will and God's plan, even though we pray for protection. We can pray for salvation for our loved ones, for people we know, for people we work with. And we can pray that with the confidence and the assurance that that's God's will. We know from Scripture that it's God's will for those people to come to know Him. And we can pray very, very diligently, and those people can refuse, they can say no to that plan. Our prayers don't override the free will of other people. Our prayers cannot override the free will of other people. Now, not only do we as human beings have uh, the ability to say yes or no to God's plan, have free will. Angelic beings have free will as well. I want to look at another text, the book of Daniel. You guys will like this one, I think. He continued, He is an angel that has come to uh, visit Daniel. Daniel is praying and calling out to God. This angel comes in response to that prayer. And Daniel is in a spiritual sort of state having a conversation with this angel. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days, and then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Daniel prays. He's in a tough situation. God dispatches an angel to come and help him. All good. But from the first day, by the way, that Daniel prayed, God heard and sent the angel. But the angel doesn't get there for three weeks. He doesn't show up for three weeks. Why? Because another angel, will, will, this is a dark angel, a bad angel, we'll call him a demon, he gets in the way. I don't know how this works, but somehow he detains the good angel and blocks him from getting to Daniel for three weeks. God sends the angel in response to Daniel's prayer, but he's stopped from coming for three weeks until a bigger angel, a stronger angel, Michael, comes to help him get through. That's weird. Is that weird to you? It's weird to me. The whole thing is weird. What, ha- what we have here is we kind of got Daniel or, or, or the, the, God pulls back the curtain and we get to see 
kind of in the spiritual realm what goes on when we pray. Sometimes we pray and things don't happen right away. Sometimes they don't happen at all. We don't understand that. <coughs> There's a whole spiritual realm going on around us that we can't see and we don't know about. I, I just think that is, that is so bizarre, this whole story. And yet here's the thing. Spiritual warfare is real. This stuff is happening. It, it's happening not only in the book of Daniel, it's happening in our lives right now as we pray. We, we live and we pray in a war zone. I, I, I titled the, the series and the message, you know, Scorpion's Eggs and the Hard-Boiled Truth, because I, I wanted us to come to the understanding that it's, it's really not that simple. It's really not that simple. There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of stuff going on. We are free agents with free will who do what we want with God or without God, and there are also angelic beings that have free will that work with God and without God. And prayer is behind and in the midst of all of that, but it's not just like magic fairy dust. You know, we, we've, we've been watching this show on Sunday nights. I can never remember what it's called, um, Storybook or something. And the, the, there's magic. It's a, it's a takeoff on, on fairy tales, and they have magic. And so sometimes they sprinkle this fairy dust, and, and good things happen, or bad things happen, depending if it's good magic or bad magic. And I realize prayer's not like that. You don't just sprinkle some fairy dust and say, all of a sudden, hey, everything's okay. It's, it's so much more complicated than all that. Prayer really, really is warfare. We really are, we really are doing battle all the time. I said before, we have two primary weapons, Two pri- there's probably other smaller, I, mean, I understand that. Two primary weapons, I believe, in a spiritual warfare are this. One, are gracious acts of kindness. Every time we extend ourselves in the name of Jesus to another person in love and grace, we advance his kingdom. His kingdom goes forward, and the kingdom of darkness pushes back. And the other weapon that we have is prayer. And every time, every time we pray, whether it appears to us that that prayer is answered or not, whether it appears that that prayer is answered immediately or not, whether we ever know whether that prayer is answered or not, every prayer is a weapon of warfare. We really are doing battle against the kingdom of darkness when we pray. Why, why does Jesus tell us to be persistent? Why does he say pray with shameless audacity? Why do we have to ask time and time and time again? Because it's just not that simple. Because it's not, it's not just God saying yes or no. There really are other things at play that we have to be conscious and aware of. There's a lot happening out there. And, you know, I, I think some, sometimes we think, well, is God stingy? Is he just not want to give? Is, is, God, is God sort of, does he like hearing us beg? Is it, is, is it like a power trip? I'm telling you, it's not those things. It's not those things. God wants to respond. We pray with expectation, knowing he wants to respond. But, but th- it's a war. It really is a battle. There's a lot, a lot involved. We talk about prayer, and those that are intercessors in prayer will talk about laboring in prayer. That's, that's, a, that's a good term because it really is, it, it really is work. It's, hard, it's labor. It's, it's work. It's not always easy. And as we continue, and I'll, I'll look next week at the, the, the other answer that's given, but, and, the, and then the week after that, we'll look at some of the other variables that are at play because I hope we can come to a little deeper understanding of this. There's a lot going on. There's a lot happening as we pray. A lot of things that we, we might not ever really know or see, but 
here's I want to close. We're out of time, but this is what we know. This is what we can be confident and certain in. Two things. Two things that we can know for sure. And there's a lot that we don't know. And a lot we don't know, but here's the two things that we do know. One is God looks like Jesus. We can know that. God looks like Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And the things that Jesus does are the things that the Father does. He, Jesus is the Word of God. He's the image of God. He's the exact representation of God. And if you want to know what's God like, look at Jesus. And I think it will compel you to pray when you do that, when you look at Him. We can know that for sure. God looks like Jesus. The second thing we can know is this. Talking to God is powerful and effective. Talking to God is powerful and effective. We, again, we might not always be able to connect the dots. We, n- we might not be able to see the direct connection between our prayers and what ultimately happens. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But that doesn't mean that any prayer is ever a wasted prayer. Every prayer is powerful and effective, and every prayer counts. And every time we go before Him, it has an impact on the advancement of his kingdom, all of our prayers really do make a difference. So those are the things that we can be confident and certain in. Why don't we stand? It's a little bit uh, late, but I would like to have uh, just a minute to pray tonight. So Josh, if you and Sarah want to come up and just do something spiritual. Hey, um, it's always our you know, we want to pray for anything that anybody has need in, but this is what I was thinking about today. I want to pray, I want to start tonight by praying for anybody that maybe has been wounded by good meaning, good heart, well-intentioned people. You were told things that just hurt and maybe left you bitter, left you angry, left you upset, left you empty. Um, I want to I want to just ask God to touch you tonight, and and I want to I want to a couple things. One is to know that those folks I just felt like their hearts were right. They they didn't mean to bring pain. That they may have brought pain, but that wasn't their intent. And just to release them from that, and allow the Spirit of God to touch you, and then just to bring healing, just to bring healing to that. Know that whatever it was, maybe that you asked God for, and I don't know if it was a sickness or a death or it was relational, financial that that wasn't God's will to know that 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 wasn't God's will so I'm going to invite uh, our ministry team to come in the front and Sarah and Josh will lead us in a little bit of worship for just a minute or two and then I'll, if you want prayer just come up and let these guys pray for you while, while we're singing